Amen. I'd encourage you to grab a copy of Larry Crabb's book, The 66 Love Letters. If you haven't done so, I would highly encourage you to get that. Today, we're going to kind of look at Genesis and Exodus. Next week, we'll look at Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And over the next 13 weeks, we're going to take a snapshot of the Old Testament, if you will, those 39 books, and try to gain as much God-style insight and wisdom as we possibly can. Now, let me say this to you. The Bible makes a very unique claim that no other book in existence makes. The Bible makes the claim that it is from God, of God, and inspired by God. Inspired. The word inspiration is a very interesting word. Uh, it, it comes from two words in the Greek, theonoustos, which means to be God-breathed. So when you start to think about this whole concept that the Bible claims to be God-breathed, it means to be inspired by God, spoken by God. It claims to have divine origin. It originates with God. It's powerful to think about that. It is the only book in existence that makes that claim. Now, the idea, the idea of inspiration is introduced to us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. And Paul kind of throws it out there from a doctrinal standpoint, if you will. There's a variety of translations, but I would highly encourage you to contemplate this. The Scripture says all Scripture is breathed out by God. Another translation says all Scripture is inspired by God. Another one says every skip Scripture is God-breathed. Here is the fundamental thought process when we get into this series, Inspired, and as we think about the 66 love letters. This book right here that we hold in our hand is divinely given by God. We've got to wrap our minds around that and realize that from Genesis through Revelation, everything is given by God. Now, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is inspired by God. Listen to what he goes on to say. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And he goes on to say, so that the man of God can be adequately equipped for every good work. Pause. The word of God, the scripture, scripture graphe, the sacred writings, that's the Greek there. The sacred writings of God are profitable for teaching, which means God wants you to have proper instruction. He wants you to know what's right. Then it's profitable for reproof, which means the conviction of sin, what's not right. It's profitable for correction, which means here's where you've gone astray. Here's your error, but I care enough to restore you back into walk with me, which means how to get right. It is profitable for training in righteousness, which means you can learn to live according to the will of God. That's how to stay right. So break it down. God's word inspired what's right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Where do we find truth? Right here, guys. Right here. So all scripture, as we get into this inspired series as we look at the 66 books what Paul was saying is every scripture and all scripture is inspired by God when he wrote that statement he was referring to the law he was referring to everything the prophets had written he was referring to the Psalms he was referring to everything under the old covenant and the new covenant 
when he says, it's all inspired by God. It's all God-breathed, and it's all profitable. There's a guy that is pretty well-known that recently made this statement in his teaching, though. He said, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. We need to basically do away with Jewish scripture. Now, th this guy's a phenomenal teacher, great orator. But as I heard his statement, I said, I struggle with that. Because all scripture is inspired by God. I understand that we're not living underneath the Levitical law any longer. I understand that you can't pour new wine into the old wineskin. I, I get that. But all scripture, we can't unhitch from it. The scripture even itself declares that it's all written for our good and benefit so that we can grow in our relationship with God. Make sense? So when you start to ponder this, it's, it's a very powerful, powerful book. The Bible is the authoritative word of God. The Bible is where you will find the will of God, the knowledge of God, the insight of God. And what you'll come to realize is that human writers were moved by the Holy Spirit to pen the words of God, and they did so without error. They did so without error. Jesus even makes the statement, not, not, not even a, 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 a dot, not even a crossing a T, nothing, nothing that's been written is going to be lost or thrown away. It's all here for a reason. So I believe we've got to understand the entire counsel of God. I believe that the goal of the entire Bible exists so that you and I and all humanity would glorify God. We were created to glorify God, period. When we find ourselves glorifying God, Piper said it, Jonathan Edwards said it, God is most glorified in me. When I am most satisfied with him. Make sense? So all of humanity exists to glorify God. That is the, the major pushing point, if you will, or the theme of the scripture. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 5. Jesus makes this declaration, if you will, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Jesus said, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. I did not come to abolish the writings of the prophet. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. Everything that the law of Moses says, everything that the prophets have written, I came to fulfill the heart of that. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is accomplished, achieved. If you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you'll be called least in the kingdom. But anyone who obeys my teaching and teaches them to other people will be called great in the kingdom. So Jesus said, don't eliminate and minimize and trivialize any of my word. So as we think about inspired, we believe that all 66 love letters of God are inspired. That's a little backdrop, if you will, to understand where we're going in this series, all right? Does that make sense? This is God-breathed. This is theonustos. This is breath of God being spoken. And so human writers that walk with God were ordained by God to pen these writings. People will say, well, uh, I, I don't know, man. 
I mean, it was written by man. It was not written by man. It was penned by man, but it was written by God. God, God allowed man to have the pen, the script, but it, it's, it's God's. It's God-breathed. It's the breath of God. Now, here's where I want to go today. I want to give you just a little uh, backdrop and understanding, if you will, of the book of Genesis. Now, I think this is important to know. Genesis is foundational for everything we believe. The name Genesis means beginnings or origin. So when we open up the Bible, and the first book of the Bible we get to is Genesis, what we see is God revealing himself as the breath of life and as the originator and as the creator. Now, God uses Moses to write Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those first five books, Pentateuch, those first five books of Torah, God used Moses to pen it. Here's an interesting thought. When you start to ponder the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings and origin, the book of Genesis covers a 2,200-year period of time. That is longer than all other 65 books combined cover. It goes all the way from 400 B.C. to 1800 B.C. It starts with God said, and let there be, and it basically ends with the life of Joseph. But the book of Genesis covers a 2,200-year period of time. But it's foundational for everything we believe. Let me give you a premise thought. Premise thought right here. The Bible is a love story that begins with a divorce. The Bible is a love story that begins with a divorce. Everything from the third chapter of Genesis through the end of Revelation is the story of a betrayed lover, that being God, pursuing us and wooing us back into fellowship and communion so that we can enjoy family with him forever. Everything from the third chapter of Genesis, you jacked it up. You messed it up. Everyone fails, but my plan will succeed. You hear God screaming, I'm coming after you. I'm not giving up on you. Even though you've raised hell and you've done your own thing, I'm I'm chasing you because I love you. I'm for you. And that's what we read all the way back from Genesis 3 until Revelation. It's like God is saying, you made a mess out of all the beauty I've created. Nothing works like it should anymore. But there still exists this beauty inside of your soul that I am desiring to restore for my glory. Not giving up on you. You had needles in your arm, not giving up on you. Selling yourself out, I'm I'm not giving up on you. I'm continuing to pursue you. Yeah, yeah, there's this capacity that I've still placed within you. Even though you've rebelled against me and turned to less wild lovers, I'm coming after you. So for me, I mean, Genesis is the story of creation, separation, devastation, but yet restoration. Some of the major doctrines when you study scripture, they, they're launched out of the book of Genesis. Look, I'm creator, I'm good. Look at you. You, you want to do your own thing. Uh, uh, look, you've created all this devastation. Sin disrupts humanity at every level. But I'm still going to pursue you. Yes. So the fundamental problem with the world and the real problem, get this, get this, get this, 
the fundamental problem with the world in which we find ourselves living. And the real problem with you and me is that we chose to turn away from God. And he tells us in Scripture that generational curses can be passed on. Your rebellion can be passed on to your kids. You've ignored me. You've rejected me. You didn't want me. You turned your back on me. And I, I, I can pay visit up to three or four generations. Listen, I want you to return to me. But the fundamental problem is that we turned away from God. And our pride and our arrogance and our ego and I want to be in control. I'm going to call the shots. And I, I, can, I can promise you this. It will create so much disaster in your life. God has been pursuing some of you in this room. You've continued to run. You've told him, no, I don't want to do it your way. And deep down inside, you think your ways are going to work better. You want to just be in control. But here, here's a fundamental thought. Adam and Eve made the same choice that you and I have been making since we were kids. Think about these three things. When you study the life of Adam and Eve, they made the same choice that you and I have been making since we were kids. What is it? We want to protect ourselves from pain. We want to eliminate how we get hurt. We want to build up walls. I'm not going to let you in. So deep down inside, for many of us, you look back at Adam and Eve, what were you doing? We were trying to protect ourselves from pain. What else? We were wanting to be in control of our own pleasure. We wanted to define pleasure on our terms. That is the hedonistic culture in which we live. Adam and Eve made the same choices that you and I made. And the third thing is, what did they want to do? They wanted to negotiate with God. God, I, I, I know what you said. That makes sense for most people, but not me. And we find ourselves coming in here today still battling and struggling with the same stuff that Adam and Eve battled. I, I'm, I'm going to protect myself. I'm, I'm not going to let myself get hurt anymore. And for many of us, we eliminate relationship. I, I'll be in control of my own terms of pleasure. I'll negotiate with God. Then we sit back and we go, but how, how's that working? When you eliminate God from being the center of your world and calling the shots 24-7, you're opening yourself up to so much chaos. And Brandon, for you guys that just graduated, for you and Jesse and so many of you guys, I look at y'all, even the younger girls, Madison Morgan, Ashley, Hannah, listen, listen, if you can establish a God-centered paradigm now and refuse to negotiate with God and believe what God says in his word to be true, to be good, to be enough, to be sufficient... It will protect you from so much heartache. But when you look or if you choose to ignore what God says, you will open up so many doors of ruin, infection, and chaos. The deeper questions of life are found in the book of Genesis. It's like, uh, where did I come from? Genesis 1, God created you. Why am I here? Genesis 15, you're here to have a relationship with God. God wants to bless you and lead you. What, what happens uh, when I die? Genesis talks about that. Ravi Zacharias talks about the four basic questions that plague humanity. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Origin, where did, it, where did it all start? Genesis talks about that. Meaning, what's man's purpose for being on the planet? 
Genesis talks about that. Morality, is there a right and wrong standard? Genesis talks about that. Destiny, it talks about that. Genesis introduces us to so much of the foundational stuff we need to know and believe if we're going to honor God. Genesis introduces us to the thought process that you were created in the image of God. Every person under my voice, listen to me. You were created in the image of God, which means God put us on this planet to reflect who he is. The ability that we have to love, to reason, to speak, to form relationships is a result of and direct result of the image that we bear in being made in the image of God. God created you in his image. That means every person on this planet, no matter your age, no matter your color, no matter your gender, you have been created in the image of God. That's the reason when, Rick, we talk about loving neighbor, why should I love neighbor? Because every neighbor I have has been created in the image of God, which means God is stamped on that person's life. They could be raising hell and totally rejecting God, but God's image is still stamped on them. Love neighbor. Well, they, they don't do life the way I do. Who does? Nobody does life the way you do. But I'm telling you right now, when you start to contemplate Genesis, you're in his image, Aquarius. You're in his image, brother. Richard, you're in his image. Love your neighbor. I'm a white redneck from Noonan, dude. I got a big head. You're a black dude from Mississippi. You're half Filipino or whatever. We're from all over the place. Our Mama K, our color's different. It doesn't matter. God made us out of dirt. But you've been made in the image of God. When I see you, God's stamp is on you. And God goes, love Aquarius. Love Paul. Love Richard. Love Rob. Love, love him. Why? Because I've made him in my image. And I've redeemed him with my blood ultimately through Christ. Don't write him off. Here, here's another thing. Genesis introduces us to the sin problem. The heart is deceitful and wicked and sick. Who can understand it? I was pondering this out of Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. I'm like, yeah, right before the flood. God looks down and says, the wickedness of the heart of man, ooh, it's jacked up. Then it says this, that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were evil continually. Man, deep down inside, because of sin, it's diseased him and ruined him. Man, he's bent toward doing what is wrong. Absolutely. God later sends a judgment on the earth. He spares Noah and a few others, but right after the floodwaters dissipate, Noah's offspring's out raising hell, sinning again. What are you saying? I'm saying the flood didn't clean it up. The flood didn't clean it up. But God's ultimate purpose for creation would not be stopped, that he would eventually clothe himself in human form, and Jesus would carry out the divine mission of bringing hope and healing and cleansing once and for all. But you go back in Genesis, and you're like, what's happened? Uh, 
Man wants to do his own thing. That's the reason I think it's so important to understand Genesis. Listen to me. Understand this is more education and more explanation today. But you've got to understand the book of Genesis. You've got to know what God's blueprint looks like. Genesis introduces us to this whole concept of marriage and sexual conduct. When you go back and study it, listen to this. The blueprint is laid out by God in Genesis for marriage and for sexual conduct. God's blueprint, the original intent of marriage was and still is a permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Listen, the noise of our society will send all kinds of messages. God laid out in Genesis his blueprint. Here's my blueprint. A permanent covenant relationship between a man and a woman. Remember God made us in his image? He made us intentionally male and intentionally female. We do not get to vote on our gender. God created us in his image. And God lays out what marriage is to look like. And then in this culture today of polytheistic beliefs, we've muddied the waters. We've allowed the White House or some house to try to redefine what marriage is. It didn't need any redefinition. God had already defined it. He moved away from his original thought. When we screw with God's blueprint, we royally jack it up. Do we all battle certain temptations? Every one of us does. But the blueprint is laid out, and if we don't know it, God introduces this thing called sex, the gift of sex, it is to be expressed in that exclusive covenant relationship. I'm just going to look for a little bit. Because my heart breaks. If God's people who were called by his name knew his truth. We're not bashing these other people out there. People that want to redefine marriage, I'm not bashing you. People that have tried to negotiate and blow up God's blueprint, I'm not bashing you. But I do want you to know in the name of love that our God that made us has spoken. And he has not gone back to revisit his blueprint as if he screwed it up and it needs clarity based on the generation in which we're living. The scripture speaks. We find it in Genesis. We're told to steward God's resources. He said, hey, be fruitful and multiply. That's the reason. I don't know if you have done the math, but it's impossible with the way certain groups define marriage. You can't be fruitful and multiply. You screw up God's call. Okay? It's a life issue. Okay, okay. Now, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and now I want you to steward. I want you to rule. I want you to manage what belongs to me? 
Steve, that's what he tells us in Genesis. I want you to rule. I want you to manage the animals, the land. You're, you're going to need these animals and this land and this water and this oxygen. You, you're, you, you won't be able to live if you don't manage what I've given you. I believe that as Christians, we should be the greatest stewards of this earth as anybody on the planet. Shouldn't be this thinking hippies out there smoking weed, man, talking about we got to take care of God's, you know, this is God's creation. It is. Christians should be the most passionate of taking care of this planet. It's God's. Because God gave us the assignment to steward and to manage what belongs to him. Now let me wrap up some thoughts. All right, so here's where we're going as we look at inspired. Genesis, origins, beginnings, it's inspired. It do, let, me, let me say this. Genesis is inspired, not expired. God didn't put an expiration date on it. All of this stuff over here, it's inspired. Here, here's the way I want it done. Okay. Then you get to the book of Exodus. Let me wrap with this. Exodus is a trip. Exodus is where we find the Ten Commands in Exodus 20. Exodus means departing. It means really leaving Egypt and oppression because God has rescued his people. The book of Exodus screams, screams, I want you to know your identity as my people. I want you to understand what living in covenant with me looks like. Three major thoughts throughout Exodus one, God comes to Israel, and he delivers them from oppression, which to me, God screams, I am salvation. You will not find salvation anywhere else. Israel, listen to me. I set you apart. I changed Jacob's name to Israel. You're going to struggle and wrestle, but yet you will prevail. Listen to me. I want you to know that salvation is from me and me alone. When you start to look at God telling the people of Israel, I'm going to send you into the promised land. I'm going to give you the promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to let you take it. That should have been an 11-day journey. The children of Israel wandered for 40 years, and only two of them were able to take hold of it, Joshua and Caleb. What, what, what happened? God was showing them, if you will trust me, and follow me, and lean into me, and depend on me, I'll take care of you. But when you ignore me, reject me, and don't include me to be your North Star, you're going to wander. You're going you're to waste away so many years of your life. And God spoke that to Israel in Exodus. Hey, hey, I'm your deliverer. I'm taking you out of oppression. Now let's stay out of it. Second thing, he brought Israel into covenant with him on Mount Sinai. So he leads these people up to Mount Sinai, and he says, now, here's what I want you to know. I'm your Savior. I deliver. But I want to sanctify you and for you to really get what living in covenant with me means. And so, Steve, God is looking at him going, I want to sanctify you. I want to set you apart. I want you to represent me to the nations. I want others to be able to look at you and go, wow, they act just like their God acts. But they haven't been acting that way. And then the third thing you see at the end of Exodus is God looking, saying, now, I came to dwell with you in the tabernacle. 
And what I really want more than anything else is to dwell with you 24-7. I'm your salvation. And and I want to sanctify you, but I'm really the satisfier of your soul every day. So I was going through this, Paul, going, yes. He's looking, going, I want you to know that I'm your satisfaction. You're not going to find it anywhere else. That's a fundamental fault throughout Exodus. I want to dwell with you. Then Jesus comes on the scene, and the scripture says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of God, full of grace and truth in Jesus. I just want to dwell with you, which means I want to abide inside of you. I want to live with you. I want to saturate you. I, I want to I want to take care of you. Listen, when we turn from God and we refuse to allow the Lord to dwell with us and we refuse to dwell with him, we're missing out. You want to be satisfied? Repent. Turn back to your God. He has been showing us For over 6,000 years, from the pages of Genesis until today, I want to dwell with you. But when you you contaminate your life and you fill it with all these other things and you tell me you'd rather have the created more than the creator, you want to have what I made instead of who I am. It's not going to work. The last two chapters in the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, are very similar to the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. You see God before sin hanging with his people. Scripture says they were naked, man. They were just chilling. There was nothing polluted or dirty in their thought process. Revelation 21 and 22 the new heaven and the, the new earth and all this stuff has happened, Steve. And you see him dwelling with his people. There's no hindrances. There's no interruptions. There's no contamination. So, so the bookends of the Bible is God dwelling with his people with no hindrances. And that's, Mama Kay, that's what he's telling Israel. I've come to dwell with you. Don't jack up our flow. Don't jack up our fellowship. Don't mess it up. Close you with this. Larry Crabb. I like what he said. He said, you must know God to trust God. And then he goes on to say, God will detach us from everything that numbs our sacred hunger for him. I'm going to detach you and I'll remove anything from you that numbs your sacred hunger for me. Anything that you start to throw on the throne as being more important, I will eventually snatch that away. I'm a jealous God. I'm not, I can do what I want to do. You see, ultimate enjoyment, once we understand that it's only realized in God, we'll start to see everything else as disappointment. You're in a great marriage. But compared to the ultimate purpose on this planet of enjoyment of God, I disappoint Barb at times. Imagine that. Man, I got these beautiful kids. 
it, it'll disappoint you at times. We got this great job, it'll disappoint you at times. Man, we got a pretty cool church, it'll disappoint you at times. Enjoyment of God and really starting to press into how much he loves you and cares about you and how he desires to lead you, I can promise you this, him making us holy will hurt at times, but there's no enjoyment like enjoy the enjoyment we get from knowing God. He's a jealous God. He's not going to share his glory. Listen to what Crab said. He goes, we never depend on God's power to be enough. We don't. We've allowed ourselves to crave the created more than the creator. I want to chase what you made, but hey, 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 Mo, you speak to us. We'd rather hear from you than God. That's what he says in Exodus. Hey, hey, Moses, you speak, man. God's a little too firm with us at times. We, we, we don't want to hear the creator. We'd rather hear some voice piece. He's like, not getting it. God had Moses write out the Ten Commandments plus other rules and stuff, not to beat us into self-hatred, not to shame us. It wasn't to beat us into self-hatred, but it was to reveal to us how liberating the less wild lovers are in the presence of his love. Do you not realize that when you chase anything apart from me as being the ultimate satisfier, you're going to be disappointed, and you're going to almost feel embarrassed. I want you to know me. So here's, here's a wrap. Here's a wrap. Genesis is foundational. Exodus, man, we've got to understand who God is. He's pursuing us. The divorced lover is still on the pursuit, still chasing you. You jacked it up and you left me. You cheated on me with the world. You cheated on me with what I made. Really? Yeah, you cheated on me, but I'm coming after you. And I, I, I'm going to keep wooing you. I want you back because of my grace and faithfulness and power. I want you back into this fellowship and family forever. As long as you try to satisfy yourself with those other things, it's not going to work, but I'm, I'm, I'm coming after you. So here's a wrap. God started it all. I believe that. He made me, he made us in his image. I believe that. We willfully sinned. We all come out of jacked up dysfunctional families because they ain't a perfect one on the planet. Some of them are a little more twisted than others. But the sin that you've committed here in the last few days, few weeks, and few months, I promise you, you did it. Yep. God pursues us every day with his relentless love. I want you. I've been coming at you, coming after you. He desires to dwell in me 24-7, 365. He promises never to leave or forsake. I want to dwell with you. That's been my theme ever since Exodus, man. I just want to dwell with my people. Jesus offers hope. We got to be able to receive it.